Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. It is that time and that day of the week that we are going to uh, have Guide Talk. So let me know what your questions are. We're even thinking about changing the name of Guide Talk to maybe something else. <laughs> we are. You know, the Why pastors, not? the pastors, what? <laughs> I've been past Hangout time. What, you know, what, what would we call something like this in the afternoon? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Been doing it a long time, but it's it kind of has veered away from guy talk, right? To more sort of. Well, we of don't pastoral. talk about a lot of guy issues. Let's yeah. be honest. We yeah, don't. Yeah. Uh, for example, here's a guy question. Do you guys buy extended warranties? <laughs> yes or no? Okay. I just feel like I'm wrong every time. When I buy them, I don't need them. And when hard, I, do, you know, when I don't a, buy them, it breaks down immediately. That's exactly yeah, me. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yep. It's part of the universe. You know, we got to get used to this, guys. It's part of the sinful nature of Adam, and <laughs> yeah, we get it. it. Yeah, so yeah. If, if any of you have great ideas for what we should uh, name this hour, or if you like guy talk, we should just stick with that. We're good with that. But if you have a, a new idea, we'd love to hear it. 877 Three three two four eight four. That is uh, for a new name for the for this segment or a question for us. We got some great questions that have come in already. The power panel today is Pastor Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, uh, Doctor Peter Kapsner, and Agent 007 Justin Jepson. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Thanks Bill. Thanks, good Bill. to be here, Bill. All right, Justin, are you there? Hey, I'm here, Bill. Awesome. Good. Wonderful. All right, let me get started with a question that came in from a, a listener, and I just uh, love this question, so thank you very much, uh, Madison, for this one. God's values are different than this world's values. I'm noticing more and more through my Bible reading how God's people highly regarded, valued, and understood the importance of God's unfailing love towards them, his mercy, his strength, and his sovereignty. In my Old Testament reading, I see how Nehemiah highly valued Jerusalem's wall being rebuilt, in the New Testament, we see how the Lord cherishes what we do in secret for him versus what the world sees us doing. So the question is, what do you think is one worldly value that must be purged in order to make space for Jesus's kingdom values? Well, for me, the biggest one is I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> and that's kind of a, something I've been with for a long time as a human being because everybody thinks they're right or they think I've heard enough about this or I've experienced this. It's the real humility that sets back and says, eh, maybe I don't know everything I need to. And if I want to become more like Jesus, well, guess what? I've got to let down all those uh, curtains in my house and let them look at everything and reform it. Hmm. Yeah, I'd say for me, um, I think the value of comfort and and convenience and uh you know i think there's there's really nothing about the christian life that is comfortable or convenient in, in, in a sense so there's the comfort of the holy spirit absolutely but i think i always say if you follow the holy spirit the holy spirit will lead you in uncomfortable situations um where my my preferences my values and everything's going to be thwarted so i i think for me i, I mean i crave comfort i call my comfort i protect my comfort i idolize my comfort uh, so I think for me, that's that's a value that, that I'm constantly fighting up against. 
Yeah, I think one of the ones I struggle with is is feeling like I'd be an owed something if I act the right way or do the right thing, that mm-hmm. therefore something good must happen in my life as a result of that. And, and I think we live in so many different environments where we are judged by those kinds of metrics, maybe on our job or in a relationship or something that, hey, if I just do the right thing, then then whatever I think is good associated with that should happen. And so I think that is something that needs to be purged as well, that, that we need to take on the values of what the kingdom says is going to happen as good versus what we expect to be good in our life. And I think of money, just uh, the kingdom values for money is so different than the world. You know, the world lives for money, works hard for money, has heart attacks and strokes to get money. And I think uh, for me, I think the Lord and for everybody, am I spending my money for things that are eternal? That doesn't mean you can't go on a trip or whatever, but do I take a lot of my money and send it to missions or give it to my church or support a missionary to bring lost people to Christ. And and so to me, you know, the world just money, money, money. And uh, if we can take that filthy lucre, as they call it, and use it for the glory of God, I think that's that's the battle for the Christian life in, in, in my life and for others too. So part two of the question would be, in your own life, what is a kingdom value that you have determined to treasure no matter what happens? No matter what happens... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Justin. No, I actually... Go ahead, Tom. I don't know. For me, it's it's come down to simply this. The ultimate value is that Jesus is who he says he is. He is God. He is Savior, and he's coming back, and everything else can fall apart around me, but I'm hanging on to that above everything else. Yeah. And, you know, I pray... I kind of on Tuesdays pray for the persecuted. Not every Tuesday, but it's kind of my my routine to pray for the persecuted overseas. And, and what I pray is, is, you know, Lord, may they not deny you. May they die before they would deny you. But if they do deny you, may they repent and you forgive them and take them back. And then I have to stop and pray the same thing for myself. Lord, I, I, I pray, Lord, that I would die before I would deny you. And I just, I just pray that kind of regularly, because, you know, when push comes to shove, who knows what you'll do. But I pray the Lord will, uh, and like Tom just said, die for Christ if I have to, you know? Yeah, I think mine is, is unfortunately sort of a, what could be a, a tired word within the kingdom because maybe it's being overused and maybe misunderstood in so many ways. But the word love is the value of the kingdom that that I would hold to in just the sense that when I read the biblical text, how much uh, there is such an emphasis. I'm so moved by the prayers of Paul in Ephesians 3, for example, about desiring that we would understand the, the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of God's love that surpasses all knowledge, or, or Romans 8, that we haven't been, that we can't be separated from the love of the Father, or God is love. And it says in 1 John 4, that if you, beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But if you do not love, then you can't pretend that you know God. And I dug into that word a while ago because I was so curious what that must mean. And, uh, and one of the ways to understand it from the biblical text is the idea of, of a tenderhearted passion that never forsakes and is always pursuing the wholeness of another person according to, to the metrics of God's kingdom. So it's not the wholeness of the person as defined by themselves. It's the wholeness that God invites us into where increasingly the power of sin is broken in our life and we are free and whole and experience joy and love and peace and, and those kinds of things. So, so love for me, it, uh, part of that question is how did that change your perspective? It really does then um, 
invite me, I would say, to wonder about how do I see the people around me, and especially maybe the people who irritate me or the, the people with whom I might have a political difference or whatever it might be. The, the question that I have to ask is, do I desire the wholeness for somebody who otherwise I would consider to be my enemy? Because Jesus says things like, love your enemy. And, and it doesn't mean we embrace behaviors. It doesn't mean that we're accepting of those things that are antithetical to the kingdom. But, but God's great love both moves in ways that uh, exclude realities from the kingdom, but he, he never, ever stops desiring that there would be the wholeness of all things. So greater love has no person than this, right? Then they lay down their life for a friend. Or while we are yet sinners, his love was demonstrated and then he died for us. I, I think that is an incredibly confrontative kind of perspective about how we see one another. Wow. Yeah, I, I would say, I don't know if I, I definitely can't top that. Wow, way to go. Um, that was that was so good. But I, I think that... I could top it. I just don't want to show him up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I would say that just to piggyback off of that, another, maybe almost just another way to restate that for me, it's very similar, but it would be that, that the idea of relationship that's marked by intimacy and authenticity. Mm. And so I, I think for me, when I look at Jesus, when he was inaugurating and beginning the kingdom, uh, just a central passage for me over the last couple of years um, has, has been a, just this little section in Mark chapter 3. And in verse 15, it says that Jesus called from the crowd those whom, I love this, those whom he desired. So this is the calling of the 12. And then he says, and here's the purpose, so that they might be with him. And then they might, he gave them authority to send them out to preach and to cast out demons and to heal. And so um, that there's this idea of a life with God, that this, this idea of Emmanuel, um, but not in just in an individualistic sense, but a life with God in community with others. And so I really will focus on calling forth and affirming the Imago Dei in every mm. single person, especially among those who look, live, and act, and think, and smell, and eat, and spe- speak differently than I do. So. I want to I want to jump on Peter's awesome statement and see if I can make it more awesome. <laughs> it was it really was good. Good good luck, Tom. Hey, I know it. <laughs> I remember the, the day many years ago when my wife Jan came walking down the aisle and we got married. I had not seen her in her wedding dress. I had not seen her all made up, and I got to tell you guys, I was in awe, just mm. absolute awe. When Jesus revealed Himself to me in all His glory and changed my heart as a twenty-two-year-old. I was in awe. For me, the bottom line of love, and this is where we keep missing it today, is that our love now toward others is out of response to the awe we felt of Jesus' love for us. Mm -hmm. And that he took the time to reveal himself to me. I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't asking for it. But I got him anyway. And I still feel the same way about my bride after 40-some years. That's the kind of love that we have to have. That's often the kind of love the world doesn't understand. And that's the one we got to put to work. Yeah. Well said. All right, we'll take a little break. When we return, we'll look forward to uh, hearing your questions. 877-933-2484. Guy Talk is happening right now. If you want us to change the name, let me know what a good suggestion might be. The first one came in was Guy Talk 2.0. So that's an improvement, maybe. <laughs> we'll have to see if we can aspire to that. Yeah. Two point oh, that's pretty aggressive. It's a second, second semester. Indeed. Yeah, I love it. We'll be right back.
And we're back with Guy Talk. Guy Talk, maybe 2.0. 2.0? We're, we're still looking for uh, a possible new name for this hour. We're, uh, we have a lot of fun. We don't really talk about guy issues as much as we thought we might. But right. We, uh, we've got a bunch of pastors here and theologians. So, you know, whatever question you might have, maybe it's the pastor's something or something. I don't know. How about, yeah. how about Tom Brock and everybody else? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that just got texted in, Tom. That's interesting. <laughs> Yeah. That's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> All right. When you're uh, having a discussion with somebody who might be in a very difficult situation, uh, and the temptation might be to say, God will never never give you more than you can handle. Hmm. However, you know, Paul said, we're crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. So Paul was certainly in a situation where he had more than he could handle. Yeah, we really don't counsel people that way. Like, hey, you're in good company. Paul was crushed and wanted to die. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know a verse that says God won't give you more than you can handle. The closest verse that I know is 1 Corinthians 10, that no temptation has overtaken you, but God will be faithful and get you through it. Right. So there's that verse. But I think what you just said, Bill, is true. God, God puts us, stretches us way beyond our puny abilities all the time to manifest his power, you know? Yeah, that seems like the kind of verse that I would want to quote in retrospect, right? I wouldn't want to quote it to somebody in the midst of something like that, and, and just uh, that's really struggling. Like, I, I think about what it's like when somebody loses a child or, or, or loses a loved one really suddenly in a car accident or anything along those lines. That just When you're in the midst of, of that, that valley of grief that can really be overwhelming, I, it, it can kind of come off as sort of, well, a buck up, you know, you need to kind of just, you know, suck it up a little bit. It's not, God, God has given you just the right amount. I, that's something that I could think back in my own life that was true in retrospect when I look backwards and I thought, you know what? I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to be overwhelmed sure. and that I thought, but, but God pulled me through those dark valleys of the shadow and, and I did come out the other side. And what I think that invites us into then is a faithful response in the future. When you you can kind of sense it when those valleys are coming again, right? You can kind of sense when 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 a season is going to be coming that's not easy. And to remember backwards, then that just as God sustained me in the past, He will sustain me in the future. I think there's a dangerous laziness among Christians. So what I mean by that is we run into families that are falling apart, Christian families. Child has died, or somebody has a disease, or all kind of problems. It's easy and it's lazy to be able to pull out a scripture verse or a part of a verse and just say, hey, hang in there. The Lord's with you. Everything's going to be fine. It's just, it's normally like somebody on Sunday morning saying, I'll pray for you, Bill. Mm -hmm. Now, I wonder how many go home and actually pray for Bill or pray for each other. I'm sure some do, but here's the bottom line. Spending time with people when they're in the valley of the shadow of death, spending time with people when their family's falling apart. And one of the things I tried to do in the ministry, early in the ministry, I had a young woman, 16, in a car accident. She broke her neck. Mm paralyzed from the neck down. And we prayed for months for a healing. We did everything possible. She was not even a member of my church. I got called into it. As long as I I was there in in Dayton for seven years, and this happened early in the ministry, the Lord convinced me I had to keep ministering to that family until the day I left Dayton, Ohio, to come to Minneapolis, Mm. and even followed up with phone calls because it's real easy the first month to say, oh, Boy, Pete, that's just terrible, and I'm praying for you, buddy. And then six months down the line, you've forgotten it altogether. Right. So I think we've got to get away from the cliches and become the answer of Jesus being there for these people. It's mm, a lot of wisdom. Yeah, that's agreed. a great yeah. comment. Tom. And you know, dur- during COVID, Tom, what you just said about 
I, I think we can use this COVID shutdown time to just pray, Lord, who would you have me call today yes. and, enc- yeah. and encourage? You know, there's a lot of old people in nursing homes that can't get out. Just, you know, maybe we should use this COVID time to just call people and talk to people more. Yeah. I'm still waiting for your yeah. call, Tom. <laughs> I'll just say, I'll get on that. Asking us for a phone call? <laughs> nah, yeah, please. No, I. Uh, no, I, what comes to my mind too is, you know, yeah, obviously, I think that phrase that that is kind of a uh, really kind of a hollow cliche of God will never give you more than you can bear. I think I think actually He does, and He does so all the time, and. Um, the, the verse that comes to my mind is Galatians 6, 2. It says, bear, bear one another's burdens and mm. fulfill the law of Christ. And I think part of the reason why God gives us more than we can bear is so that we bear it with one another. And so I think that while I can't bear it by myself, I can also, I can bear it with my community. I can bear it with my, along with my wife. I can bear it alongside of you, brothers. And I think, you know, one of the most comforting things that we can do for people is, isn't to try to theologize away their pain or rationalize away their pain, um, you know, uh, it's to simply say, I'm in the pain with you. Yeah. And and to say, I'm here to bear and shoulder this with you. It's more than you can bear, but that's why God put me in your life. And that's why he put you in, in my life. And so I think that's part of, I think, speaking to the Christian community and to really the, the body life that we've been called and saved into. I, I love that. What I love about that, Justin, is it makes me think of the few times in life that I've run across somebody, and and as I shared some of what's going on in my life, that they actually began to to cry a little bit, and and it, like there's so few and far between, right? Like what you were saying, Parish, I think so often happens, which is, hey, okay, well, I'm sorry, but I'll pray for you, which often is just a cue to get out of the conversation, or right. can be. And I think for many people that are faithful in prayer, it's not. But I actually, and I'm sure you have too, experienced people that it was a cue to sort of get out of the conversation. But but for those people that that have sort of wept over the same things that I'm weeping over or laugh with me over the same sorts of things or whatever, or me to them, I, I don't know if that tangibly represents what you just said, Justin, about Galatians 6-2 and bear each other's burdens. But there's a sense of, of um, I don't, I'm in it with you somehow that evokes that kind of emotion that I think really matters. And, and those people, boy, do I trust them. And boy, do I then not feel that I'm alone in this whole deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Tom Brock, just so you know, you've got my number. You can call night or day, <laughs> and I promise, I promise, you'll be able to get directly into my voicemail. Oh, yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right, here's a here's a question that came in. I'm discovering unconditional love through recovery from alcohol. Eight praise years God. now. Yeah, praise it. God. My wife of 30 years isn't on the same page with me. It's always conditional. Mm. I will love you if. So sounds like there's some eggshells that are being walked on. Any wow. uh, any advice as to well, you know, this brother? I, I've got to I've got to say, when God loves us unconditionally, I got to ask, what does that mean? Yeah, does that mean I can cheat on my wife? I can get uh, I can you know have all kinds of uh, problems, but hey, God loves me unconditionally. And my response to that is Romans six: Shall we continue in sin that grace, unconditional love? might increase. May it never be. So I, I I think when people say God loves us unconditionally, he does, if you mean by that, we're saved by grace, by his sure mercy, not by anything I do. But on the other hand, uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us. There are certain conditions going on here. If we confess with our lips, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's conditional. So I uh, you know, just kind of, I, I get a little uncomfortable because 
people can talk about, and I believe the unconditional love of God is what saves all of us. We're saved by grace alone. That doesn't mean I'm free to go off and live a life of sin. Yeah, I think to the extent that we, if we un- unfortunately and maybe mistakenly make a synonym between I uh, agree with, meaning then I love you. If if agreement and love mean the same thing, then no. uh, then then that's trouble. But if if we think about God's love, like we were talking about earlier, as a being who is constantly and always pursuing us to desire our wholeness, well, wholeness as defined by his kingdom is going to include certain things and it's going to exclude certain things as well. But in that, God never desire, it never stops desiring that we would be made whole. And so in the case of, a, you know, if a person who is trying to come out of alcoholism uh, decides to just, you know, go on repeated benders after benders after benders. Uh, and, and if love means agreement, well, of course we don't agree in that. But the love does mean how do I respond where I'm still for your wholeness, even though I'm against this behavior? Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I think that's that trick of moving towards grace and truth is, is how am I still for you, even though the behavior is something that we can't embrace and endorse? And, and I think so often, as soon as there's a behavior that I'm confronted with that I don't like, or something that is going to be harmful, I stop actually being for you. And so we can't yeah. be we can't be conditionally for one another. We have to be unconditionally for one another, even as we set the appropriate boundaries, and even as we say that is that that kind of behavior can't belong in this situation. I'd like to encourage yeah. this brother to think about this: the fact that you have now discovered the grace and the love of Jesus that's beyond anything you can understand was a gift, just a pure gift out of uh, the uh, the background you had. Your wife has never discovered that gift. You are now Jesus's gift to her to help her come to understand that. And it may take you the rest of your life, may take you till the day you die or she dies. But now your wife, who has never experienced that kind of unconditional love, has a chance to learn that through you. And I know it's lonely, and I know that you don't get the kind of love you want. But since you've experienced that incredible love, now you get to give it away. Yeah, I was thinking alongside of that, Tom, that I, I like the way the question was asked, that he said that I'm discovering or have discovered. And mm-hmm. I think that the, what that speaks to, to me is that he, he's in a process and he's in a journey. Yeah. And as that's true of him, uh, that's also true of his wife. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I would encourage that if he feels there's a conditionality there, you know, on one hand, but to kind of what Peter is talking about, that we can't conflate unconditional love with, I'm not going to hold you accountable to your right. actions. Right. You know, so if someone, so it, it might be that, um, or there actually might be conditions there, or there might be hurt or woundedness, you know, that maybe was caused by a past that of of, of substance abuse, and there that just takes it takes time to heal and to rebuild trust, and so trust trust the process um, that just as God is pursuing that you this this brother, He's also pursuing his wife, and uh, as what Tom said too, absolutely that this this husband now has the opportunity to incarnate that pursuit um, of, of God's pursuit of his wife and his relationship with her. Uh, sweet. Let me take a little break. We still have time for lots of questions. Send them over, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. If we should keep this hour called Guy Talk, Guy Talk 2.0, got a new name for us? Let me know. A couple of uh, come in. Disciple Dudes, I like that. <laughs> That's pretty solid. Uh, Wisdom of the Ages, uh, mm. we're too young for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wisdom and Laughs with the Guys. That's good, too. Solid. All right, we'll take a short break. Be right back. 877-933-2484.
Back to the show. Guy Talk is uh, this hour. Let us know what questions you might have for us. 877-933-2484. Got some great uh, ideas coming in. Uh, Fishers of Men. Oh, that's, that's a, pretty that's solid. That's a good one. Yeah. Scriptures with Men. That's another good one. God Guys. God's Guys. That's kind of a nice one. Whoa. We so, got to think in terms of theme song, though, too, right? I mean, whatever we pick, you got to have your guys write it up. Some probably, sort of theme yeah. song, right? Yeah, it's the same thing. Do we yeah. get our own walk-up music then with a new name? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, hair boy. Okay. <laughs> Got that great hair, doesn't he? He does have that great hair. Yeah. It drives me wild. Yeah. Uh. Brock, you're laughing too. I appreciate that. Well, uh, Bill, nobody knows because they can't see us, but only you and I are bald. The other three guys have hair. I don't have any hair. Mine is, mine is basically oh, gone. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Peter is bald too. Yeah. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Wisdom of, the, wisdom of the sages would work, I guess. Oh, sages, yeah, that'd be better. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's yeah. uh, move on to some questions and see if there is any wisdom here. I think okay. that's fair, yeah. Let's good, do that. Good idea. All right, uh, Galatians 6 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Practically, what does this mean for the average Christian? How involved should I be in the hurts and needs of fellow Christians? Great question. That is a great question. You've done a lot of counseling, Parish. I mean, there's got to be some kind of balance, right, between I, I actually am authentically caring and compassionate for you versus that I somehow almost triangulate or enter into it with you in a, in a different kind of way. Yeah, exactly. I, I think for me, it took a long time ministry to learn that I was not going to solve your problem, that I was not going to be Jesus. I mean, I can represent Jesus, but I'm not going to be Jesus to you. What I can do is walk alongside you, help resource you, listen to you, confront you when appropriate, um, and give you the time you need. And and I had to vary that over time because in the initial crisis, you give people a lot of time and then it gets spread out. But I would make sure that I was still talking to them a year later because that's usually when most people have quit talking. It's getting that balance. That's the hard thing. But it's still the Lord that has to solve their problem. And I do what I can to help them get there. Yeah, I think going back to, we, we, we brought this text up a little bit earlier, um, and, uh, you know, I think it really, it, it, it speaks to, um, you know, the way that Jesus willingly stepped into people's pain um, and stepped into the, the, the discomfort and even the inconvenience of that. And so I think, you know, um, you know, even just in context here, to bear one another's burdens, uh Paul says, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so I think it also speaks to um, our journey of sanctification or our growth and holiness, that if we are um, living in relationships that are marked by intimacy and authenticity, we're going to be close enough where we're going to see perhaps the inconsistencies um, in each other's lives or, or blind spots um, in one another's lives, and we're able to... Uh, give license or give uh, permission for others to be able to speak into the, those areas of our life and to be, be willing to have difficult conversations. But So I think on one hand, it's that. But on the other hand, I think it goes back to what we are saying before, really weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, and, um, and really, really uh, grieving alongside of and shouldering uh, uh, the, the pain and the burdens of, of others as we live in a broken, fallen world. Yeah, I, boy, I agree, Justin. I, and I think that idea of empathy, right, where you can actually 
sort of put yourself in another person's situation and to some degree experience what they are likely experiencing in the midst of that. Just going back to some things we talked about earlier that I know that the people in my life that I feel like have empathized with me, it doesn't mean that, that they're leaning in oddly or, or it just, it just means that they sort of understand the burden on some level. And there's a solidarity in that and there's a strength in that. And, and I feel like then the burden that I am currently carrying is also being carried by somebody else who authentically does really care. It doesn't just pretend that they're caring or is doing something out of duty. Uh, but we, we live in such an environment where I always have to look out for number one and, and the environment in which we live in, in America. And I love our country, but it really is about you pursue your own sense of happiness. And so we end up so often being kind of almost a, a series of individuals in competition with one another in so many different ways. And that really mitigates against the idea of wait, I'm going to step out of my own narcissistic life for just a second and my own self-pursuits and my self-centeredness and think, maybe your burdens and what you care about are as important as my own, if not more so. And, and so to develop that sense of empathy, uh, I think is really hard in today's culture for a lot of different reasons. It is. The older I get, the more I admire the New Testament with the house church concept. Yeah. In a house church concept where you have 10 to 15 people, it's very hard to, hard to hide your problems. It's very hard to hide your grief or your sorrow or your relational problems with your spouse. In the larger church, you can hide a lot of stuff. And the problem is people often don't get to the counselor, the pastor, or some other person until it's so far gone that it's, you know, it's like there are only pieces left over. So I'm, we need to be closer to one another. We need to listen to one another, and we need to do it in a respectful and um, honest way. All right, let's jump into a little bit deeper theological water right now. This question I find interesting. Um, obviously, Jesus spoke like he was God. Jesus accepted the worship, right, of God, and he did things to demonstrate that he was God. Yep. Now, with that as a backdrop, if Jesus was God, why did he say the Father is greater than I in John fifteen one? Mm. Yeah, I, I think that the sort of the fancy theological language that gets associated with that question is the idea of um, within the Godhead, was there an eternal subordination, meaning that throughout all eternity, Jesus is subordinate to the Father and is doing the will of the Father? Or was there a temporary functional subordination that Jesus emptied himself and became human, that though he remained in very essence God for a season, for a time, for a purpose, did he functionally subordinate himself, even though he was God, to the will of the Father? I don't know that there, this is one of those questions, right, where we can kind of take a, a, a guess and a pass at it. I think we would be um, maybe better off not being super dogmatic about exactly mm-hmm. what happened there. But I think the most consistent views that I see is that there's not an eternal subordination. There was a functional subordination like so that. that he could take on flesh and dwell among us and to then do the will of the Father. It's a good word. Peter, there, there is the passage in, I think it's First Corinthians, Corinthians 15, is it? where after the second coming and all things have been submitted to Christ, Mm, mm -hmm. then Christ himself will be submitted to God the Father, that God may be all in all. So even at, I mean, yeah, we want to maintain Jesus as fully God and fully man. While he was on earth for 33 years, he did empty himself. He was still God, but there are certain things he didn't know. Who touched me? You know, Uh, when he's coming back, only the Father knows, you know. Now, I think Jesus knows that now. So he's re-entered his full knowledge that he limited himself about on earth. But even at the end, he's going to submit himself to God the Father. 
And so we want to, and why did he say the Father is greater than I? Well, when Jesus was on earth, that's because he had limited himself. But at the end, he submits himself to the Father. That doesn't mean he's less God than God the Father, but like a, a wife is to submit herself to her husband. That doesn't mean she's less human. It's just the way it works, and that's called the economy of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equally one God, but the Son submits himself to the Father. And I think it's proper to say that that that's kind of an eternal thing. I mean, mm-hmm. just, uh, but, you know, some of this is beyond us, but I, I do think because of that verse, and I think it's First Corinthians 15, that at the end, Jesus will subject himself, the Son subjects himself to the Father. It doesn't mean he's not God. It doesn't mean that that's the way the Trinity works. Yeah, no, that's a good word, Tom. I think that's why we have to be careful not to be dogmatic with this one and kind of do the best we can to take a passing Mm -hmm. stab at it. But it's Mm -hmm. one of those many theological issues, right, that I I think we long for absolute certain clarity on how this whole thing works. But I think we're always seeing through a glass darkly with these. And and, Mm -hmm. and this is one of those great examples where you have support for both sides of it. And, uh, And at the end of the day, I think it's an interesting question to kick around. But uh-huh. I, I don't know that it necessarily matters to our faith in terms of how we understand our relationship no. with Jesus. And, and that I, it's one of those curious questions, right? I can't wait to see the other side when then we'll see face to face what this whole thing is really like. I, well, we do, I, I do yeah. remember the first time I heard I, I was in, sitting in Bible class at Bethel University and the professor taught an old conservative professor taught that little baby Jesus didn't know how to do trigonometry. I thought, well, of, of course he did. He's God. But then I came to see the, the truth of Scripture that Luke chapter 2, Jesus grew in knowledge and wisdom. Right. He really became human. He really grew in knowledge and wisdom. So I think we, we, we tend to, some of us tend to stress God, Jesus being God so much, we forget he really became human. One of the things I've learned yeah. to do, and I, I look at Philippians chapter 2, when it talks about, you know, you know he, he was in the form of God, but, you know, humbled himself, took on human form, Etc. Interesting. I usually, before I would got more proficient with the New Testament language, the Greek, I looked at a lot of different translations, and I still look at a lot of translations, even as a pastor. It's interesting because Philippians two in the ESV, you know, says uh, uh, this: "Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped." Well, I found that God's word, which was done by I think a group of. Uh, are those, uh, that's Missouri Senate guys that did this. Their translation says this, although he was in the form of God and equal with God, he did not take advantage of this equality. He purposely stepped down mm-hmm. to identify with us and to be one of us and to be truly tempted. You know, it's one thing to say, hey, Peter, I've faced the same temptations you have, and uh, but if I've never experienced that, I really can't say that. Jesus could, but he never gave into it. Right. Yeah, and, and I think when it comes to um, this is yeah such a rich conversation, um, you know, and, and back to what was you know alluded to earlier, I think a little bit that Tom and Peter had brought up of, you know, what, what difference does this make, or why is that, or why is this important? I think when it comes to the practical aspect of it, you know, I was looking at Philippians two, Tom, and uh, you know this idea that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him, and I think. Jesus, I mean, he, he became like us in every way so that we could be like him in every way. And so that, that idea that he's, that's, this is why he's the perfect mediator um, and that he showed us that the path that we will walk 
as as disciples will be ones where we need we need to as well humble ourselves you know what deny ourselves take up our crosses and follow him and and so jesus paved the way as our forerunner and then sends us the holy spirit to empower us to imitate the very life that he demonstrated and so um in terms of this our submission to him as lord in the same way that he submitted to god as father and so um, this is why earlier, you know, John 14, I love this crazy passage that, that Jesus says, you know, if you love me, you'll obey, you'll obey my commandments. But he says that if, if you love me, you'll abide in my commandments, and I and the Father will come and make our home with mm-hmm. you. And, uh, and so I think that's it's just this idea of, of a unity and a oneness, and Jesus showed us how to, what that looks like practically, and then actually empowers us to imitate it. Yeah, it's such a powerful word, Justin. I was just going to say that I, that Philippians 2 passage, right, it says, have this attitude in you that it was the same in Christ Jesus. And that word attitude is the sense of sort of like a disposition, like the very way in which you walk about in this world is is one of humility and it is one of letting go of whatever power real or perceived that you think you have for the sake of other people. All right, let me take a little break. Yeah. We'll be back with more Guy Talk uh, or maybe back with a turnaround hour with the dudes. It's another, <laughs> another name that came in. Uh, Brotherly Wisdom. It's another one that came in, so keep them coming. We'd love to uh, get your input. 877-933-2484. We've got a show idea to name this hour. We've been Guy Talk, Guy, Guy Talk 2.0. We're open to new ideas, because why not? We'll be right back. segment could be called. Got an idea? Let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. Here's a question, gentlemen. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 5.11, that we should not keep company with unrepentant believers who practice sin. Does the panel think this applies to the church today? If so, would this apply to professing Christians who believe sex outside of marriage and practicing homosexuality are not sin. Mm. Well, that's a good let, question. Maybe we should start with um, keep company. What does keep company mean? I mean, I think well, of, you know, I think of I, Jesus uh, talking to Zacchaeus, saying, I'm coming to your house tonight for dinner. Well, that was a pretty intimate invitation. Yeah. He yeah. was, at some point, yeah. keeping company with Zacchaeus. Yeah. It's one thing to eat with sinners like Jesus did, and it's another thing to eat with people who say they're believers and who are living in impenitent sin. And and so I think the church, yes, I do think the word of Paul is for today, that the church is not to let impenitent sinners be full members of the church. And sadly, we so rarely enforce that. And I've had to, and it killed me. It's, just hard, it's hard emotionally to tell someone, look, until you stop living with your boyfriend— I've warned you about so many times, you just keep living with them. You can't take communion at this church or be a member of this church until you repent. I mean, I've had to do it. It's hard to do. But, it, you know, do we love people enough to try to shake them up, or do we just let them, mm. you know, sleep their way into hell? And uh, so I do think that's the word for today. And I think, I think the church is not very good at enforcing that word. 
Yeah, I, boy, you know, I, I struggle with this one because we were talking during the break a little bit too about the idea that Jesus obviously ate and had fellowship um, with with sinners and the tax collectors, uh, so much so that the religious leaders of the day uh, sort of associated him with that crowd. But I, but I think there's something different that Jesus was doing there versus what's happening here in 1 Corinthians 5. And it, my mind goes back to the, the, the idea that if you wanted to say yes to the church back in that time, it was a really rigorous process. It was not, I'm going to do a bunch of church shopping and then try to find the church that I like and then welcome you know me in the doors and then I'll decide if I kind of like it from here. They, they often spent at least two years in a, in a very significant process called a catechesis where they would learn about the faith and they would learn about what it meant to be a person of the way. And from there, if you wanted to join the way, it, uh, then you did so through baptism and uh, through the confirmation of the Spirit coming up out of the waters and then finally culminating with the communion table. And the communion table really was reserved for those people that had said yes to following Jesus. Those are the people with whom you would associate. Those are the people that said, yes, I'm not going to continue to embrace sin in my life. Uh, I want to, even though I may have sin in my life, I really do want the transformative power of God at work to break me free of that. That's different than inviting people to the table to, to fellowship with them for the purposes of and, and, to, and to invite them to a different kind of way of life to begin with. And so I think the church probably could and should err more on the side of caution when it comes with who we celebrate with. And and I know, I think about, uh, Bill, there's a, a pastor of a church locally that I was with him, and at the time he said, we just had a couple who's in a same-gender relationship, and they say, we love Jesus, we're in the same-gender relationship, and we want to join your church, what do we do? And I watched this pastor struggle with the answer to that that question, but but I do think there is something about, um, I mean, would we embrace somebody that's walking around saying, hey, I'm a bit greedy and a bit deceptive, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, filch everything out of the out of the communion basket or uh, the giving basket as it goes by, or or you, you name the sin. I think it's when somebody is in an unrepentant state, I don't, I think the invitation in the text is to say, we're going to come and confront, we're going to confront again, and if not, we're going to have to ask you to leave the community because it's just uh-huh. a different, it, that's a different environment than Jesus saying, hey, come to my table, I can transform anybody. You watch my kingdom at work. I don't care what your background is. Everybody can be in on this deal. You just come to my table and, and I'll teach you how. Here's the problem. Once you claim the name of Jesus, you're on a different level in the sense of what you're responsible Absolutely. for. And the problem is we haven't taught that in Christianity. We've talked to people about repenting and getting saved so they go to heaven. We haven't talked about them repenting, getting saved so they can now live for Jesus. If we live for Jesus, that means no matter how much attraction I have toward another man, if I'm in that, that genre, I'm never going to justify it by saying I love Jesus and I love my partner and now we want to be a part of the church. What I would say is I love Jesus. I know this is not what he wants. I need help not to go down this path. Will you help me as the church? We don't hear enough of that anymore. And it's even frowned on now in many circles. But the point is that when you take on the name of Jesus, you have a whole different genre of how you behave and how you look at the world. Because in this text, he said, Paul even goes on to say, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the house of God. Right. Yeah. And how, do you, how, how tragic it has become that there are a number of liberal mainline denominations who have practicing homosexual pastors, practicing homosexual bishops with, quote, husbands, how are those people going to discipline someone when they're living in a penitent sin? And that's how tragic and far we have fallen in, in our uh, Christianity, in, our, in the liberal circles. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think um, it's, it's already been mentioned here, but I think it's it, this is kind of an inversion of what Jesus, you know, did in terms of he he was associating with those that were on the outside, outside of the religious system, and he 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 had the the tender-hearted compassion and, and mm-hmm. included them at the table, and 
you know, that's why Paul says I, not to associate with the sexually immoral people, and then not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world. <laughs> that you know, right. we don't, we're, we're not, we're not to judge the world. We're judging those inside. You know, that someone mm-hmm. who bears yeah. the name of of brother. And I think this speaks to uh, so many, so many things. Uh, this is such a practical teaching, and like like we've already talked about, really hard to apply and to put in put into practice, but. Um, our sin is not just an individual thing. Yeah, uh, we have such an individ- individualistic mindset here. I think in the West, in North America in particular, that we think, oh, my sin. Yes, my sin is against God, but my sin impacts and affects negatively everybody else around me, whether we see it or not. And so, I think this means that when we, our lives are, we're, we are to be accountable to one another. We have to give an account to our life for God, but we also need the accountability of the community and not in a behavioralistic religious way of just like, Oh, have you checked some things off the box, that type of thing? Have you done this? Have you not done this? But I think this is speaking to um, a lifestyle and a pattern of what Tom was alluding to earlier as uh, living in unrepentant sin. And may I, I also just say as big of a, in a series of a sin of, you know, sexual immorality, uh, such as, you know, homosexuality or trans- transgender, but we got to look at the full list. He says sexual immorality or greed Right. Who is an idolater, reviler, yeah. drunkard, or swindler? Yeah. You know, I, we 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 place a, a different value and a metric system on on certain sins, and that come and different sins have different consequences. But I think we also need to. When's the last time you know, we 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 called out a pastor or a religious leader or somebody else for one of these other sins? You know, we we highlight certain ones. But we need to view it all all in the, all in context. I, I think the the question was kind of a hard one. If I understood her question right, wh- what do we do with Christians who affirm fornication and homosexuality? Maybe they're not doing those things, but they're sure. fine with with that practice. Do you continue to fellowship with them? And that it, 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 finally it came down to, for Tom Parrish and I. We had to leave the denomination that was promoting some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And there does come a time you shake the dust off your feet after you tried to witness for years, and you said, "Look, we're." Uh, and so, I, I, the, the word of Paul is for today, and we we need to take it more seriously because, sadly, we don't take it very seriously. All right, nice job, guys. That was uh, beautifully handled. All right, what about the the idea that someone that you have in your circle has a fair amount of spiritual pride? How do you approach someone that's got a lot of spiritual pride? And the fact that this listener wants to confront them uh, says it's a reflection of uh, her own bitterness towards them and their demeanor, which means I, I got I to gotta work to do myself. Mm. Um, so is that, is that one of those unrepentant sins worth confronting? Mm. There's some head bobbing going on here in the studio. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what that means. Hey, that's a title, The Bobbing Heads. Yeah, I like that. It's an hour with the bobbing heads. Bob and leave. (laughs) That's so tricky. And the reason it's so tricky is this. Jesus warned us about seeing the speck in the other person's eye before we look in our own eye. Okay, let's say your eye is okay, and you're seeing this person for what they're really doing. What's causing them to do that? And the issue is not just confronting them and telling them you're spiritually arrogant in what you're doing. Although I've done that with people, not successfully, but I've done it. It doesn't really get too far. But what I can do is say, you know, you seem so confident, and yet why do you do this or why do you do that? Or why don't you 
venture forth and help other people who are struggling with this. Somehow we got to get to the, the root cause, and that's a very hard thing to do. I don't want to minimize that, but, again, spending time with people is important. I think, too, for me, the hardest part of the ministry was having to confront people on their sins. I lose sleep over that kind of thing. But if, if you feel the Lord is calling you to have a talk with this person, code it in prayer, do it as humbly and lovingly as you can, and then do it. And then if the person, if, if you do it humbly and lovingly, nobody can fault you. They, this person might blow up, and you know, and, and, but that's their problem. If you've lovingly, humbly said something like, you know, I, it's hard for me to tell you this, but I think I'm supposed to just talk to you that I'm saying just kind of a lot of pride in your life and, and then give some examples. Do it humbly and lovingly, and then you let it rest and see what happens next. Yeah, I think you said such a key point there, yeah. too, Tom, that if you're, if you're feeling led or, or prayer, because that is such a tricky conversation. I mean, I hardly know anybody that if you approach them and said, you know, you're pretty prideful about everything you do, they're like, oh, yeah, actually, <laughs> that's true. I see so, your point. Yeah, right. I agree with you. You know, so I don't know if there's any kind of wisdom in the idea that, you know, just the pride goes before the fall, that God will do the humbling in the proper time. And it maybe you are the vessel for that, but that might just be a long game thing, too. All right. you know, I, I wish so much we had an extended uh, version of Guy Talk today because, we, you know, this is when the, the questions come pouring in yeah. and the follow-ups to some of the things we've said are pouring in. So, unfortunately, I don't have enough time to address the rest of these issues. We can bring them back up again the next time we meet, and I hope you can join us because we will do that. That wraps up our, our time together with Guide Talk, and some of the other names that came in are very amusing. Thank you so much. Uh, Dudes with a View, that's a good one. <laughs> no, I hey. like that one. Uh, practical <laughs> Theology, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's all good stuff. That was good. All right, we'll uh, take a short break. When we come back, uh, Dr. David T. Lamb, who is an Old Testament professor, is going to talk about the emotions of God. That's all next. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.